Hello, CFL fans. This is Jack. Welcome to another podcast for No Fair Catch. I apologize for being away from the airwaves. Last week, I was uh, rather busy last Tuesday. Uh, life got in the way, but today I'm back, and I'm here to discuss some uh, some general CFL news that I just had to get get out of the way really quickly. And then I'm going to be talking about the infamous Odell Willis trade, which uh, which saw the mayor of Swaggerville uh, move from Winnipeg to Saskatchewan for this upcoming season. And then I'm going to be throwing some more numbers at you, doing a bit of an editorial uh, based on just how important it is to get to the quarterback and the CFL, how sacks attribute to wins in this wonderful game that we call Canadian football. Now, I want to begin by acknowledging the retirement of a wonderful Canadian player, arguably the best Canadian football player in the CFL over the past 10 years, and that, of course, is former Blue Bomber defensive tackle Doug Brown. I'd like to congratulate him on his retirement. Uh, Doug Brown, there's nothing more that needs to be said about his uh, about his stellar career. Uh, the one good thing that's come out of this retirement for the entire CFL is that Doug Brown has now joined Twitter, and if you haven't been following Doug Brown, uh, his Twitter handles at DougBrown97. Uh, you are missing out on some wonderful stuff. Uh, he is talking smack to some former, uh, or, or rather, uh, uh, some. Uh fans that have been chirping him uh, he's been tweeting some hilarious stuff uh, to some former uh, rivals of his and other teams uh, particularly the commentary between him and Doug, uh, uh, Rob Murphy uh, formerly of the uh, Toronto Argonauts has been hilarious and uh, possibly my favorite tweet of his was uh, about the uh, trade that I'm going to be talking about right away uh, where he wrote uh, Brendan Tamat with Brendan Tamat being his former general manager in Winnipeg Tamat swapped draft picks for an import where have I heard that before lol it's great stuff. I really hope Doug will keep it coming, and I'm sure he will. Rumor has it he's going to be working with TSN this year uh, to help cover games, and he's going to be a wonderful member of the media. Uh, he's, a, he's a super bright guy uh, in addition to being uh, uh, funny and a uh, wonderful football player. So I say congrats uh, to you, Doug. Again, there's nothing more that really needs to be said uh, just about how wonderful uh, Doug Brown's career was and uh, how lucky we all were to uh, to watch him uh, run across the, uh, the CFL field for 11 years uh, as a member of this wonderful league of ours. Next, I want to talk about the infamous trade that Doug Brown was referencing in that tweet that he sent out, and that is, of course, the trade of all-star, former Blue Bomber, defensive end Odell Willis, and a conditional fifth-round pick in exchange for two draft picks in this upcoming 2012 CFL draft from the Riders, uh, with those picks being the 8th and 23rd overall ones. Uh, in addition to that, the Riders also threw in a conditional draft pick in 2013. I'm not exactly sure what the conditions of that pick are. Uh, however, if Odell Willis goes out and has a great season... I believe that pick could be as high as the first round pick of the Riders uh, next season, or it could be as low as the fifth round uh, if Odell Willis goes out and has a poor season. But anyways, what I really want to talk about with this trade is the crazy mixed reviews we saw with this trade on Twitter, on forums, and just in the media, even in general. Uh, Dave Naylor pointed this out on Twitter. He has never seen a CFL trade this uh, mixed in reviews, and, and, and so many people uh, on, on both sides of the issue. I saw some people bashing the the bombers for making this trade. The worst of it was Andrew Buchholz, uh, who writes the uh, CFL column for Yahoo Sports Entertainment. He wrote an article uh, about the trade entitled, Odell Willis, the CFL's 2011 co-sack leader, sent to Saskatchewan an inexplicable trade. Uh, later, he wrote, uh, Winnipeg uh, swapped the, uh, the one of the CFL's best defensive players for, quote, a couple of poor draft picks. 
end quote. They're really, really riling on the Bombers. And there are some people doing the same thing on Twitter. Uh, many Bomber fans seemed upset. Um, but at the same time, on the flip side, there are many Ryder fans on Twitter who seemed very upset about the trade. They didn't like it. Arash Madani, uh, one of my personal favorite commentators uh, of the CFL on Twitter, wrote that the Bombers completely duped Saskatchewan in this trade. Uh, he pointed out that Odell Willis regressed greatly over the course of the season. He said that Odell Willis uh, regressed the most of any player in the entire league, which is something that I don't think I disagree with necessarily. Odell Willis came out of the gate very hot this year, fizzled off, and he was a distraction during Great Cup Week, uh, tweeting a few things about wanting to be with his family for American Thanksgiving instead of playing football. Uh, he And he does claim that the media blew these uh, comments out of proportion, which I, I don't think is unfair to say. I believe the media did that. But you know what? That's the media's job, Odell. That's when, when, when players tweet things, they need to understand that the media is going to grab onto them because that's what the media does. That's the media's job to grab onto things that players say and do and make them public so that they can sell their newspapers, they can get blog hits, they can do all those things that keeps them getting a paycheck and keeps them putting food into their family's mouths. And things only got worse when Odell Willis dropped that, of course, uh, infamous uh, uh, interception that he may or may not have been able to uh, uh, turn the tides of the Grey Cup game around with uh, if he had managed to hold on to that ball that seemed to be thrown directly at him from Travis Lule. I believe it was in the late third quarter of, uh, of this year's Grey Cup game before the game was over and the Bombers still had a chance to make a comeback and, uh, and claim the Grey Cup. Uh, so Odell Willis, and another thing that, uh, with this deal is that uh, Joe Mack, the uh, G uh, general manager of the Blue Bombers, stated that Odell Willis had asked to be released. He said he wanted out of Winnipeg, uh, I suppose because of these comments, the Grey Cup thing, and just, you know, general uh, falling out of favor with fans. I mean, and after all, it is true, Odell Willis takes a huge amount of penalties. Uh, he had 13 sacks this past season, but uh, it seemed like every time I sat down to watch a Bomber game last season, he got at least one offside penalty per game, and he was possibly the worst uh, offender in the entire league uh, for roughing the passer calls, oftentimes hitting the passer too late, or uh, taking a headshot when he wasn't supposed to. So if you want my views on the deal, I say... Well, I think it's too early to call it, really. To be perfectly honest, I don't believe that you can possibly say that the Riders or the Bombers got the better side of the deal. Uh, as of right now, I think it's gonna need some. Uh, we're gonna need some time to let this play out. Uh, first of all, we don't know how Odell Willis is gonna be playing in Saskatchewan. Corey Shamblin believes that the Odell Willis that he traded for is the Odell Willis that Odell Willis can play to be at his absolute highest level every single game, game in and game out. And you know what? If Corey Shamblin is able to discipline Odell Willis, make him play in a safe manner where he's not taking penalties, and just capture that fire and keep him going through the whole season, then absolutely, guess what? The Riders won this trade. But if he gets the Odell Willis, who is lazy and regresses over the course of the season and takes stupid penalties and tweets stupid things, then guess what? The Bombers were lucky to get rid of him now while they could ask for such a high price. On the flip side, the CFL draft is possibly the world's football draft that is the least predictable in the nfl yeah we've seen major busts aka you know jamarcus russell uh, uh the or ryan leafs of the world there have been busts but in the canadian football draft it is so difficult to determine who is going to be a star and who is going to be an insurance salesman just a few years from now uh the bombers though i do like that they picked up an early pick the eighth overall pick in the draft after all they gave up their first round pick of this year uh, to select Quito pobla in the supplemental draft of 2011 uh so they do get back into the first round well not technically not a first round pick uh, but given that it's the eighth overall pick in the draft, for all intents and purposes, it is a first-round selection. 
which is always great to have uh, to keep building building Canadian talent for your team, especially given that people are saying that this is the deepest CFL draft that we've seen in years. Uh, so good for the Bombers. But again, it'll take a few years uh, down the road to see who the Bombers select and how they develop. Uh, perhaps they'll find the next Jason Claremont uh, or maybe, you know, they'll find a huge bust. We simply don't know. Uh, one thing that I do know, however, is that I had a wonderful time uh, visiting both the Bomber and Ryder Farms, checking up on Twitter, seeing what people were saying about this trade, and just sitting there in awe of just how different people's opinions are. Because personally, I respect the opinions of people like Andrew uh, Buchholz and uh, Endeavor Ashmedani, uh, and... <laughs> but to be perfectly honest, their opinions on this deal could not have been more different. And obviously, they both can't be right, but we'll have to wait and see a few years down the road. That's my opinion anyways. If I was forced to pick one or the other right now, I might say that the Bombers got a slightly better edge to this deal, simply because building Canadian talent is the most important thing you can do. And because Odell Willis, and this is something that I don't know if the Riders really looked at, Odell Willis wants to go to the NFL after this upcoming season. The Bombers signed him to a new contract, I believe it was two seasons ago, uh, so he's playing out his option year right now. Uh, and after this season, I don't think he wants to sign a new Canadian Football League deal until he's looked at his NFL options. He's still only 27. I don't believe he turns 28 until after this upcoming season. So he's still young enough to get an NFL look. He's big enough to get an NFL look. And I think he wants to go the way of Cameron Wake, uh, having put up some, uh, some, some wonderful sack numbers over the past three seasons uh, that he split amongst Calgary and Winnipeg. And uh, you can be sure that he's going to want to put up uh, some great numbers this season uh, with Saskatchewan uh, in order to get some good NFL money, get a tryout, whatever it is that he wants to do south of the border after this season. Um, so it is possible that Saskatchewan gave up two uh, reasonably good Canadian draft picks for for a one-year rental on Odell Willis, but we'll see. Maybe he won't get any NFL offers and he'll come back to Saskatchewan and light it up. We'll see. So given that Odell Willis might only be there for one year, I might have to give the slight edge to Winnipeg right now in the trade, but we'll see. Again, Odell Willis might stick around for a long time. We simply don't know yet, and that's why I want to wait at least two years to really figure out who won this deal, uh, given that it is such a big deal. It's, one of, it's, it's the second biggest trade of the offseason uh, if you... Uh, take the Ricky Ray trade into consideration but in most off seasons this would be the biggest trade of the year uh, given that it's not every year that a marquee quarterback like Ricky Ray is shipped way out east uh, to Toronto. Now the people who like this trade on the Riders side uh, say that the reason that it's such a great trade for the Riders is that they simply get a marquee pass rusher something that they haven't had since the 2009 season where they had Stevie Bags and John Chick coming off the end who of course both went uh, to the NFL to the Arizona Cardinals and uh, Indianapolis Colts um, John Chick has been lucky to stick around there. CB Bags, meanwhile, has gone the way of the Dodo. Uh, I imagine we will likely see him back in the CFL, but he recently got cut from that huge contract he had in Hamilton. Uh, I believe it's been three weeks now and nobody's, nobody's signed him. Uh, I do think that he'll land somewhere eventually. I think he's only 31 uh, right now, so he's young enough to keep playing for at least a few more years, but uh, it's tough. Once you hit 30 in the CFL, being an import defensive end, it's tough to still find a gig, but we'll see. I, I, I think he'll land somewhere, but he won't get nearly the money that he he got in Hamilton, and we'll see if he gets the playing time. But I wanted to look at, and this is something that I really enjoy doing, by the way. I'm not a mathematician, but I love crunching the numbers. I think I do a good job of it, and I love doing these editorials. I wanted to find out just how much sacks 
play a role in winning football games in the Canadian Football League? How important is it to have a marquee pass rusher? How important is it to get after the quarterback? And do you want one marquee pass rusher who's going to be getting all your sacks? Or do you want a defensive line that can get sacks by committee? A big group of guys that can all apply pressure to the quarterback, even though no single player stands out as a star. Well, I crunched the numbers, and I'm about to give them to you. So the first thing I looked at was the CFL sack leaders over the past 10 seasons. That's ranging from the year 2002 to the year 2001. Now, over these seasons, there are a few years, specifically 2011, where we saw two players claim the sacks sack title, which would uh, be Odell Willis of Winnipeg and Justin Hickman of Hamilton, who both had 13 sacks, and the 2009 season, where John Bowman, Stevie Baggs, and Ricky Foley of Montreal, Saskatchewan, and BC, respectively, all split the league lead with sacks with 12 sacks. Aside from that, every single season, the remaining eight seasons, had one single sack leader who led the entire CFL in sacks. Now, given that 25% of the teams in the CFL make their great cup game every single year, I wanted to determine how often the sack leader for from any given season makes the great cup game now the numbers are skewed a little bit because again we have three extra players uh, on this list uh, 13 players filling up 10 positions but at the same time the numbers are pretty low over the past 10 seasons we've only seen three years where the cfl sack leader made the great cup game with that being odell willis this past season with winnipeg john bowman and stevie bags making it in 2009 and brent johnson of the bc lions making it in 2006 for the other seven seasons, there's only been one occasion where the CFL sack leader failed to make the playoffs, with that being Philip Hunt of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers missing the playoffs in 2010. But still, looking at these numbers, we can't really determine that the CFL sack leader making it to the Great Cup game is something that occurs on a greater than average scale. On average, we should expect the sack leader to be there once every four years, and currently, we're seeing them make it 30% of the time. Given that that's such a small increase over the average expectancy, we can't determine that having the sack leader on your team increases your chances of making it to the Grey Cup game. So from there, I decided to crunch the numbers further. Instead of just looking at one player per season who had a lot of sacks, I wanted to look at how many sacks each team had as a whole. How many sacks did every player account for added up and take a look at how many sacks that was and compare it to the number of wins that team was able to get throughout one CFL season. After accumulating all the sack statistics for each team over these 10 seasons, I was able to determine that the CFL uh, perfect average over the past 10 years per season per team has been 38.6 sacks. That means that if you were to put together literally the most average CFL team over the past 10 seasons to be fielded on the defensive side of the ball, that team would accumulate 38.6 sacks over an 18-game regular season schedule. I then decided to take a look at the top three teams from each season. That is the top three teams that accumulated the most wins over the course of one season. Not make it to the Great Cup or necessarily certainly have playoff success, but who was able to win the most games in the regular season? Of those three teams, I determined over the course of the last 10 years, those teams averaged out to making 41.5 sacks successfully throughout each season. That's a full three sacks higher than the league average for sacking statistics, which is impressive. That means that teams that win more games get more sacks. Is it by an overwhelming statistic that we can make that statement? 
No, but it is true. Then I decided to look at the opposite side of things. I looked at the bottom three teams over every season for the past 10 years. These are the three teams for each season who won the least games. And after averaging out their totals for the past 10 years, I was able to determine that these teams averaged out to accumulating just 35.6 sacks per season. That's a full three sacks less than the league average over the past 10 years. So we can see a trend forming here. It's not by huge percentage points that these, these, these variations in sacks are occurring, but it's true that teams that lose more games get fewer sacks, and teams that win more games get more sacks. So I thought about leaving things there and leaving it at that statement, which is true. The numbers back it up, and I do have a broad 10-year range of data to draw that conclusion from. In fact, I would argue that including the years prior to 2002 in my study would really compromise my position as a statistician, even though I am an amateur, simply because the CFL has changed so much over the past 10 years. The CFL of 1998 is not the CFL of today, so I decided to just include these these previous 10 years to ensure maximum accuracy while still having a broad enough range to make a fair statement regarding the data. But because I'm such a wonderful statistician and podcaster, and because I have too much time on my hands on Tuesdays, I decided to look at the data even further. Given that the number of times the opposing quarterback drops back to pass has a huge impact on the amount of sacks that a team might get throughout the course of one football game, I decided to include those numbers in my study. Just think about it. If one quarterback drops back to pass 20 times throughout a football game, and the other quarterback drops back to pass 50 times throughout a football game, it's only reasonable that one team should be expected to get more than double the sacks of the other team, given that they have more than double the opportunities to sack the quarterback. What if the reason that these numbers were looking this way was because the teams who won more games were forcing their opponents to pass more, giving them more opportunities to sack their quarterback? After all, when a team is leading, they often run the ball more because they want to expire the clock at a faster rate, giving their opponents fewer chances to sack their quarterback, and thus making their sack totals lower. So I went back to the CFL stats page and I accumulated the pass attempts totals for each of the teams that I looked at as being the top three and bottom three in the CFL over the past 10 years in sacks. What I found is that the teams over the past 10 years who finished in the top three in the CFL in wins dropped back to pass 18,049 times. Averaging that out over 30 teams, that means that per season, the top three teams in the league per wins drop back to pass 602 times per season on average. On the flip side, the bottom three teams drop back to pass 16,953 times. Averaging that out over 30 teams, given that there's three teams per year over 10 years, that means that on average, the bottom teams drop back to pass 565 times per season on average. What this means is two things. The first thing is that my assumption that teams that lost more games dropped back to pass more times was wrong. Apparently over the past three seasons, the teams who won the most games in the CFL did not subscribe to the school of thought that one should run the ball late in the game to wear down the opponent and run out the clock. They just wanted to keep pouring it on with more passing. Well, hey, maybe that's the reason that TV ratings are up. The second thing that this meant is that the teams who had the most sacks were actually facing teams who were dropping back to pass fewer times. And vice versa, the teams that were losing more games and had fewer sacks actually had more opportunities to sack their opponents. Taking these numbers into consideration, my previous conclusion that teams that get more sacks win more games become amplified. After all, our top three teams in the CFL, on average, 
accumulated six more sacks than teams who are at the bottom of the CFL, despite the fact that they only had 93.8% of the opportunities to sack the opposing quarterback as the bottom teams did. So what does this mean? Well, it means that if you want to win more CFL games, you don't necessarily need to have an elite pass rusher on your hands. In fact, I would argue that you need to go for the previously outlined sack by committee strategy, meaning that instead of having one elite defensive end, your team is better off, if you're interested in winning anyways, having a defensive line who can all contribute to sack totals. You won't have any all-stars this way, but you might just win more CFL games. Personally, my favorite defense over the past couple years of the Canadian Football League has been that of the Toronto Argonauts. The Toronto Argonauts do not have many flashy players, especially since the departure of Byron Parker to the BC Lions this offseason, and they never seem to get any support from their offense, having fielded arguably the two worst offenses in recent memory, the CFL, over the past two seasons, led by the prolific quarterback Cleo Lemon. While the Toronto defense is usually not that much fun to watch, and they oftentimes turn opposing offenses into a bore, that's, at the end of the day, a defense's job. You don't want the offense to be high-flying, changing the game at a rapid pace, accumulating large plays and big chunks of yardage. You want to limit the offense to a slow, stuttering, haltering machine that is unable to put two consecutive first downs together. Well, Toronto's sack totals over the past two seasons have actually been very poor. This past season, in 2011, the Toronto Argonauts accumulated just 28 sacks, a full 10 lower than the CFL average over the past 10 years for one defense. The previous year, in 2010, when the Toronto Argonauts actually made the playoffs, Toronto had just 26 sacks, a full 12 lower than the CFL average over the past few years. So why am I throwing in these last-minute numbers by the Toronto Argonauts over the past few seasons? After all, it's very unusual for somebody who does commentary about the CFL to herald the Toronto Argonauts in any way, shape, or form. But I can't help but do it a little bit, to be perfectly honest. Despite the fact that my conclusion stated that more sacks usually means more wins, I would argue that in the Toronto Argonauts' case, their offense is to blame for virtually all of their losses. Their sack totals are not impressive, but their defense is. Proving that to every conclusion, there are exceptions. Isn't that a wonderful way to end off the podcast, kids? A moral of the story. An allegory. It's a truly beautiful thing on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Anyways, thank you for joining me on No Fair Catch. My name's Jack. Take care, and I'll see you next Tuesday.